Hey everyone, the episode you're about to listen to is one of the very first ones that we did, and the sound recording is not that great. It took us a little bit to hit our stride, and we enjoyed these first episodes, but they maybe aren't our strongest ones. So we've got some better equipment and honed our skills. The recording quality gets a lot better around episode 10. Stick it out, keep listening, it gets better from here. I'm Ben, and you're listening to the Sound Logic Podcast. This is Mike. Each episode, we discuss one of music's greatest albums from Rolling Stone Magazine's Top 500 list. Brought to you by two guys with no credentials. Hey, welcome back, everyone. Today, we're discussing album number three from Rolling Stone's Top 500 album list. This one is Revolver by the Beatles. If you didn't get enough Beatles in episode one, we're back in episode three, already talking about the Fab Four again. And we're going to hit it up a few more times here. Uh, This list, especially in the first few, really loves the Beatles. They put four Beatles albums in the top ten, so uh, we're going to talk about them a lot, which I personally don't have a problem with, but that's just the way it is. We both have the same answer to this question, but have you listened to this album before? Barking on this project? Yeah, similar to with Sgt. Pepper's. Uh, during that phase of grad school where I binge watched the Beatles anthology series, I downloaded them all. I had all the studio albums. And, uh, and so, yeah, I've listened to it in its entirety uh, on numerous occasions. And I'm looking forward to discussing it today. This is the first Beatles album that I bought, you know, in CD form to have. The album and growing up, especially in my late teens and early twenties, I never felt like I needed to buy Beatles music. Because at work, we listened to the radio all day long, and the local classic rock radio station we listened to played so many Beatles songs all the time. And they did a segment uh, every day called the Beatles Break, where they played a couple. I don't know if it was you know four in the afternoon. They played a couple Beatles tracks, and usually they played like a popular one and kind of a deeper cut. I knew, you know, I had heard tons of Beatles music, but when I felt I wanted to go a little deeper, somehow I knew whether someone had told me or I'd heard it that Revolver was the one I wanted to get. So I went and I saw it and I bought it. And uh, as I started to buy more Beatles albums and listen to more of their music, this is still my very favorite. And I don't think it's because it's the first one to buy. There's just so much I really, really like on it. We maybe should hold off on saying whether this is true, but it'd be fun sometime to talk through what our favorite Beatles album is. Um, There's so many good ones, but it seems like everyone has a personal favorite. Mine has changed over time. I was I was really into uh, Hard Day's Night, the movie. Oh. After watching Beatles anthology, right? And I, I don't know. For some reason, I think it just exemplified what I thought the Beatles were supposed to sound like at that point in my life. And I listened to that a lot. Uh, so anyway, it, I won't spoil it for what my favorite is now, but it'd be, it'll be interesting to talk about that. Maybe, maybe after we finish the top 10 and we get through these four. Are you saying you're not sure if you want to keep that in or not, where I say it's my favorite? You want to come back to that? Oh, did you say it was your favorite? This is still my very favorite. I did. Oh, I'm clearly not doing a good listening. Uh, yeah, we'll talk about it later. We'll talk about that after. 
So let's give a little context on this album. Uh, it was released on August 5th in 1966, and it was the band's seventh studio album. We have discussed there were some recordings before that, and the U.S. list and the U.K. list can differ, but we're going to go with the seventh. But I can tell you this, it came after Rubber Soul and came before Sgt. Peppers. Uh, all songs were written by Lennon McCartney, except for three that were written by George Harrison as Taxman, Love You Too, and I Want to Tell You. Uh, and it charted at number one in both the U.S. and the U.K. Worldwide sales, we got somewhere around six million. Uh, that's up until now. And a couple notes on the album. Here's an interesting one. It won one Grammy in 1967 for Best Album Cover. Which I didn't even realize was a thing. I'm pretty sure it's not a thing anymore. Yeah, it, it's evolved into, it's now called the Grammy for the Best Recording Package. So it, <laughs> it still has to do with like the physical appearance of an album. But they still give a Grammy for this. Really? Yeah, it's it's not it's it's changed the title a couple of times throughout history, um, but they still do award something like this, and and they've changed parameters over time. They used to hand out one for sort of pop rock and one for classical. Then there was a shift to just hand out one. Uh, at some point, I'm guessing it was probably in the '90s when everyone started doing this. They banned box sets from being. Uh, able to receive this Grammy because <laughs> box sets often get these like really elaborate, robust artwork. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting. It's something I never knew was a thing until today. And they were inducted into the, or sorry, this album was inducted into the Grammy hall of fame in 1999. Do you, do you even know what that is? No. Okay. We'll skip that part. Cause I don't know what it is. <laughs> For an album we both profess to love so much. Uh, <laughs> I really don't know much about it so far. Just listen um, to the songs. And then, you know, we know that this was the last album they recorded before they stopped performing live. Yeah. So we saw that in Sgt. Peppers, they were way more experimental because they knew they didn't have to reproduce them live. And I think we start seeing this even more in Revolver than had happened before. Because I think, I would expect they probably knew that this was coming or had talked about it a little bit. They knew that they were kind of heading in this direction. Besides uh, a really bad nightmare. <laughs> it's an album cover I've always looked fairly quickly at without really looking at what the different faces are. I don't know if they're, are they all pictures of the Beatles or are there other, are there other people thrown in as well? The guy who is sort of right in the center looks a bit Amish or something with the beard there. It's that's Lennon, and I, I've always felt like, who's this Amish guy in the middle of the Beatles album cover? Snuck into the photo shoot. Yeah, some of these albums are really small or, or slightly obscured. As far as I can see, they're all photos or drawings of the Beatles. Yeah. And uh, we look at the that picture of John Lennon where he looks like he just has a chin strap beard, and it's like there's something placed around his face, another image. Uh, so I don't think he had uh, been dabbling in that religion at all. Although I wouldn't put it past him. I don't <laughs> think that's what happened. One of the things that I always felt really, really super creepy is 
when you can look at an image of this and get real close, you can see that the four big drawings of the guys in the band on at least one of them, and that's George Harrison on the bottom right corner, they're actual photographic images of their eyeballs have been placed into the drawing. Mm. Um, and that to me is just like, is really creepy. If you look, you know, I have a copy of the album. And you look closely at George Harrison. Those are actually, I would assume his eyeballs, photographic images of them. So you get this shine there in the midst of this pencil drawing. And it's like a little unsettling. Yeah, for real. The, the artist was supposedly um, imagining these images tumbling out of the drawings. He saw the drawings okay. as sort of one state of consciousness and these little bits of their past kind of tumbling out of them. It, it's certainly an interesting cover. I guess we'd have to use the word iconic just because of who it was and when, when it came out and, and how good the album is. So for a long time, I did just kind of look past it before you kind of you really got to look close and dig into what it is. It's kind of just this, yeah, like this, just this big jumble of images of the band. It, it's, it is very 60s and psychedelic, um, but not as focused and structured, I feel, as Sgt. Pepper's, for example, where you can see a bit more of a thought process on who they've got in there, what they've laid out. Again, very complex, uh, but there's a bit more, I guess strategy. I, you know, I, I don't want to offend the artist uh, and the creative license in creating this because there's obviously a, a design here. But um, yeah, I guess to the to the layman's eye, that one just seems to, it's just a little more appealing. Again, this one just has a few things that are just a little unsettling that kind of you look at it and go, yeah, okay, uh, that's enough. Well, it strikes me um, the albums that came before this are mostly their foreheads in a kind of uh, serious, we're too cool kind of pose. Various arrangements. Right. And everything that comes after, with the exception of the White Album, which is just blank, is like flamboyant, exploding color, um, yep. psychedelic. So this kind of is a placeholder yep. in the way that their sound is shifting between the sort of old look and the new look that's about to be unveiled. It does seem like a strange choice to go with the black and white, given that there's such a shift happening in their musical sound at this point. Well, on their next album, Sgt. Pepper's, that's the first time we see any of them with facial hair. Right. Except for the Amish beard on this cover. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't even think that's his facial hair in that image. Um, and it's also the first time we start seeing them grow their hair different than each other. They've always pretty much been the same. Yeah. In these images, we start seeing, you know, it's a little shaggier, a little different than each other. And then, of course, when we get in Sgt. Peppers, we see them just starting to do their own thing. Right. So this is, again, this is always referred to as, this was the precursor to Sgt. Peppers. This was the stepping stone from this album to that album. Uh, so we see the beginnings of all those things, even in the artistry. 14 tracks on this album. We start off with Taxman, Eleanor Rigby, I'm Only Sleeping, Love You Too, Here, There, and Everywhere, Yellow Submarine, 
she said, she said. Good day, sunshine. And your bird can sing. For no one. Dr. Robert. I want to tell you. Got to get you into my life. Tomorrow never knows. The whole lot of music. Yeah.、Uh, many of the tracks are, are not very long. You know, just just over two minutes, two and a half minutes.、Um, and not to say anything negative about a short song, but you know they fit a lot of music onto this album. What tracks jump out to you when you look at this list? Well. I hate to be striking the same chord that I was on Sgt. Pepper's, but I I feel like "Love to You" feels forced, perhaps even more so than the inclusion of the sitar music did on Sgt. Pepper's,、um, because I think what we were talking about last time was you know they didn't just take a sound and try and mush it into a A rock song. Here, it does feel like they kind of took a sound and mushed it into a rock song.、Um, more so, I think. Yeah, a little bit more. I agree.、Uh, of course, this is becoming. This is coming before that, and so, you know, maybe they learned their lesson and did a better job the next time. The other one that just seems a little out of place is the concluding track, and similar again to Sgt. Pepper's. It almost makes me feel like there was a good complete album. Tracks one to thirteen. Why'd you stick number fourteen on the end there? It just doesn't quite fit. Like it, fl-、uh, it doesn't quite flow to me with、uh, the rest of it. It feels like the most conceptual. I think、um, if we want to call this again a concept album, and I would have been fine without it on there.、Um, it's interesting and it's kind of clever and fun. Got to get you into my life is just such a magical, upbeat song, and I'm on a high, and then. I'd rather the album the album just ended there rather than going into this kind of like weird, amorphous, I don't know, to close out the album. Well, you you just want everything to be neat and tidy, don't you? Yes, it's number three <laughs> on the greatest albums of all time. How can there be flaws? It should be perfect. Well, I'm gonna mostly dis- disagree with you. <laughs> I really. I really like Tomorrow Never Knows. It is very experimental. It's, it's. I imagine if you're listening to this in 1966, you're going, "That's weird." But、um, there were a lot of things that were weird, so maybe it wasn't that weird. Got to get you into my life, and I'll say the same thing that I said with A Day in the Life for Sergeant Pepper's. I don't see you going into another track after that track. I don't see you going the way that Tomorrow Never Knows and kind of has this the weird. You know, backward guitar sounds and、uh, piano tinkling around at the end of "Tomorrow、yeah. Never Knows." I don't see going into another track, so it's almost like I totally agree with that. It has to be last. Got to get you into my life is the last track, but then there's a little something special after that, <laughs> and、uh, and I like that.、I、can't go anywhere else on the album. I just think right. Thirteen. Your counter argument is, you know, don't like even put it, it on. Do you think we should do one more? We should do one more. <laughs>、um, 
<laughs> what do you got? Uh, so, uh, let's just throw some jimbled sounds together. <laughs> yeah. It'll be great. Um, no, I, I, I definitely, I, I hear you, but, um, you know, and I like the more little dissonant, little weird stuff. And, and you know, and, and I'm listening to it with so such different years, you know, 50 years later. Absolutely. Than at the time, and probably a lot of people were like, "Ah, oh, this is like way out there." But then, on the other hand, they were the Beatles, and they could kind of do whatever they wanted. Yeah, and it's very possible that uh, some of the other songs on here were just as uh, outlandish as "Tomorrow Never Knows." We just don't hear them that way anymore. "Yellow Submarine" could have been nonsense to the first people who heard it. Even the third track, "I'm Only Sleeping," is like kind of in a haze and. I'm imagining that would have been pretty wild to hear the first time. Yeah, that's a bit of a trippy song, isn't it? I have a memory of Eleanor Rigby. I think it was a high school English class, like a grade 10 English class. And we listened to it, and they had it written out all the lyrics, and it parsed out all the syllables, (laughs) and just how, how it really works as poetry. And I don't know if that was an official thing, or if that teacher just really, really liked the Beatles and wanted to find a way to talk about it at school. Um, either way, I'm okay with it. Interesting. But uh, that always stuck with me as I listen to it now. I think about the, because the Eleanor Rigby and Father Mackenzie, they're the same, the same syllables, like the same, it's the same, right? And and it's really cool how they did that. And so much of that song and many of the other ones are, are, not lyrically, but the way that they're written, the prose is is way beyond what so many of their their peers were doing in music. Yep. Uh, again, this is why they were they did what they did, and they were so amazing. Yeah. But yeah, that's a, just a, a great example of their their excellent uh, uh, lyrical skills. Yeah. I had an interesting experience just today. Um, I was doing my homework and listening to this album to get ready this afternoon and put it on and uh, two of my kids came into the living room and wanted to kind of dance around uh, Taxman is such a fun bouncy you know we were like I was throwing them up in the air they were loving it and then Eleanor Rigby comes <laughs> on and it's just this like it almost felt like a funeral march like they just sort of like daddy what is this and uh <laughs> It just totally changed the mood. And I'd never considered before the roller coaster ride of emotion that this album takes you on. Because oh, then yeah. I skipped to I'm Only Sleeping, thinking, well, maybe the next one will be better to dance around to. It's also kind of like this melancholy <laughs> sway. Very different than Eleanor Rigby, but also not necessarily upbeat like, like Taxman. The next track is no better because it's the sort of experimental uh, sitar. Um, and Here, There, Everywhere is, you know, we're six, five songs in and we've got five completely different sounding tracks. Uh, sixth song is Yellow Submarine. So finally you're back to something more yeah. danceable, but it's totally different than Taxman. And I think the whole album, it just does that the whole way through. So maybe I'm changing my mind. Maybe tomorrow never knows is fitting with the whole <laughs> the whole thing. It just I just don't like it as much as some of the other songs. Maybe that's my my beef. It's the crux of all of my issues with this project that we're undertaking. <laughs> if I don't like it, it's not going to fit. 
Uh, it, it is very diverse, yeah. just as Sgt. Pepper's is diverse yeah. in, in its sounds and in its lyrics. There are so many different styles of songs, and for some reason, once again, they they really do. Even though they're different, they go so well together. And as an album, it goes it just front to back. It goes well. There are a lot of songs on here that. I would expect most people would be familiar with. Eleanor Rigby, Yellow Submarine, Good Day Sunshine, The God to Get You Into My Life. There's probably a few more that most people have heard. Uh, and I remember playing this uh, for my wife. Hey, have you have you heard Revolver? And, no, I don't think so. Played it. And it's like, oh yeah, I know that. I know that. I know that. <laughs> yeah. They're all on one album? Is this a, is this a compilation? Right. Nah, it's just a really good album. And I feel like most of these songs, maybe a few exceptions, most of them could be singles. Right. I think some of those more experimental, more eastern sounding ones maybe would have struggled as singles, but but a lot of them. I really, I always really, really like And Your Bird Can Sing with that double, that harmony guitar line uh, through it, kind of fuzz tone. Uh, I thought that's a that's a really cool thing. Very simple, but really effective. Yeah, and it's um, not only these 13 songs, but they recorded Paperback Writer at the same time. Oh, yeah, that's right. And it's not on the yeah. album, but it gets released as a single, oh. and it goes up to number one. It's the same era, same recording. I don't know what the decision was. That should have been there instead of Tomorrow Never Knows. <laughs> get, get out of here. <laughs> hung up. Um yeah, so so prolifically writing uh, music here um, that they're releasing number one singles that aren't on any album. It's just it's hard to imagine that now. That happened with Peppers because um, they released some singles after Peppers that didn't have an album or around the same time. Uh, Strawberry Fields was oh, one, yeah. and and those out like those songs just got dumped onto the second side of Magical Mystery Tour. So Magical Mystery Tour was only like six songs and then they had all these singles that didn't go on any albums. So they just slapped it on the other side. <laughs> it wasn't any less successful right. because of it. Uh, but yeah, they just just keep pumping out music. It's you know, amazing. I think if you're a producer or record exec and an artist comes to you with a dynamite track, you just get it out there. Right. <laughs> Oh, you don't have any other tracks yet? Well, I'll make it a single. Yeah, it's so interesting. Do we have information on the title, Revolver? Because I don't think it shows up as a lyric in the album at all. Is this a reference to a type of gun? Or what is this? The only thing I could find is that the band was really into dual meanings. Uh, Rubber Soul was really where it all began. Uh, that, you know, can be soul of a shoe or like your physical soul that's bendy um they like the idea right. that a record spins around and it's a it is a type of revolver and it could also be seen as yes. a gun um my be, probably before ever hearing this album learning about the beatles catalog and hearing, they called it revolver that sounds dark and disturbed and i could have sworn that in those pencil drawings of the faces on the cover there was a gun at some point but it's clearly not there and I, <laughs> i'm imagining things but 
yeah, I always thought that that gave the album kind of a darker tone than than some of their other more whimsical uh, titles. I'm like moving, I'm moving my head around at different angles to see if I can <laughs> find the gun. If there you squint now. really hard, maybe? I assumed before I listened to this album that it would be a lot more psychedelic uh, in its entirety, just from the, the mm. look of it and what mm. I heard that it was a precursor to Sgt. Pepper's. I thought it would be kind of a a much more experimental album. Yeah. There are a couple tracks, as we discussed, that are, but, but most of it is not. It's it's just great Beatles music. Yeah, I think that this is the sweet spot for this group. Okay. There, there are songs that I think can take me all the way back to the early 60s. I Want to Tell You Maybe and Andrew Bird Can Sing just sound like that like early, you know, kind of gritty pub skiffle or something like that. They were fitting a genre early in their in their careers. Dr. Robert for sure. You know, very much that. But then there are more conceptual songs on here and there are just like good sweet spot songs too that that I think would not be out of place on their very final studio yeah. album. And that says something that they can sort of hold they can sort of sort of bookend their career in a singular album. There are songs that, you know, you wouldn't be surprised to learn had been on the first right. album nor the last. Their their career wasn't that long, I guess we should acknowledge that up front as well you know their studio albums only span eight years but, but yeah it's 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 probably the album i would point to if someone said like what do the beatles sound like i might i might hand them revolver and say this is a pretty good summary of what they're capable of doing it gets weirder yeah you're right a, a, yeah. a representation of a little bit from every part of their career yeah it's interesting that you talk about that balance between kind of what they sound like at the time what they sounded like earlier and what you know what was yet to come how interesting that we just talked about the Beach Boys pet sounds and we talked about the same thing how we heard that typical Beach Boys surf sound that was present on a number of the tracks but not all of them and it wasn't overwhelming on the album as a whole the album pointed to something much greater I think this album does the same you hear some of that early Beatles sound which everybody loved uh, but not too much that it's like oh here's just another you know 1964 Beatles album we heard new things too some things that maybe not everybody was ready for but it pointed to the next step so great balance in all those aspects I've always enjoyed the Harrison tracks on any Beatles album. Uh, you know, the opening track here, Taxman, uh, I really like it. There's parts of it that are kind of weird, kind of experimental, but as a whole, it's it's a fun sing-along, dance-along song. And also, uh, Love You Too, again, that's the got that Eastern uh, sitar, tabla sounds. Uh, I, think, uh, I think the term is Hindustani. And, and I want to tell you um, what I want to tell you is much more it sounds a little bit more like a Lennon McCartney song it's more anthemic usually Harrison songs are a little more insular a little more oh what's the word I lost it <laughs> anyways um, uh, yeah but I like I, I really like the Harrison tracks and I really 
think he was a gifted songwriter and although Lennon McCartney took the vast majority of the songwriting the times that he did come and write songs I really really liked them I thought that they deserved to be you know, at the forefront and I love that he gets the opening track here yeah he's got a solo album in the Rolling Stone list right yes I believe he does it'd be interesting to get to that one as well, well. I, we'll get to that one in about three years <laughs> he's someone I've respected and admired but um I don't think I can put my finger on what it is that's a George Harrison sound in the same way that I can for Lennon and McCartney. So I'm looking forward to there someday. <laughs> I think they're more they're more guitar driven, more guitar driven than melody driven. Mm-hmm. And Lennon McCartney songs, I think, for the most part, are are, are melody and lyrically mm-hmm. driven. George's songs are a little more guitar-driven, and there's more dissonance in both some of the lyrics and the music. Yeah. This album, with all its you know kind of experimental sounds and sounds from other cultures, is it still relevant uh, in this year that we're in? It's absolutely still relevant, um, but similar to Pet Sounds, it definitely sounds dated at times as well i think with eleanor rigby you've also you've already mentioned that lyrically it's tackling some some deeper things perhaps than than songs that have come before and and similar to sergeant peppers i guess some of the songs that i think date it the most are also the ones that are are such such easily um palatable songs for people of any age uh you know when i'm 64 strikes me as a, a very similar parallel to Yellow Submarine, where you know you put it on and the first few notes play and then everyone's singing along right away. Um, in my run through this evening, I, <laughs> uh, with my kids, uh, when Yellow Submarine came on, I said to my oldest, have you ever heard this song? She said, oh yeah. I asked the five-year-old and she said, no, I don't think so. And then the chorus played and she said, oh yeah. And, <laughs> and I asked the two-year-old, have you ever heard this song? And he said, yep. And just right away. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure how incredible that last comment was, but, uh, it, it, you know, they're dancing around and singing. I don't really like the song much at all, but it's timeless in terms of its accessibility and uh, how quickly people people connect with it and, and know that it's fun. I think it feels a little silly to me for some reason. I feel strange knocking it for that because I think it's meant to be silly. For some reason, Dr. Robert also feels like zany in a way that I don't know if it holds up real well. And to, for me, that's more about the sound quality than the um, than the lyrical content or something like that. I'm not sure what it is about that one specifically that, that feels out of touch. There are some songs, though, that uh, I just think are, are so well, well done. I think Eleanor Rigby may be the one that rises to the top for me. Um, but Good Day Sunshine is such a great song, and I really, really like Got to Get You yes. Into My Life. Those three tracks, I think, are, are probably the ones that I just think are, are classics that will sound just as good in 20 years as they do today or did 50 years ago. For sure, and I agree, and I think that one of the things that can make a song very good is 
its ability to allow people to engage in it and, yeah. and sing along with it or play along with it. And many of these songs are not to say that they're simple or easy, but they're easy to sing along. They have melodies that aren't too challenging, lyrics, and perhaps music. So, got a song like Yeah, Yellow Marina or Yellow Marina. This is probably the best example. It's easy to sing along, and it is silly, but that allows. I mean, little kids. Are you going to play music in your in your music collection? Are you going to play it for your kids? Probably a lot of it that you would. Or that it's not necessarily inappropriate, but they're not really going to have any right. connection to it. Here's a song from a, from a band that's certainly not a kids band that is really accessible for kids. It feels like a children's yeah. song, and and as much as that does make it in some ways seem a little out of place, also makes it very very accessible and. I think that's something that, for this song in particular, has kind of propelled it all these decades. Is still one that is very much enjoyable. It feels a little bit more serious than Sgt. Pepper's, and I'm not sure if it's just the uh, the way that Sgt. Pepper's opens. They're both, I guess, referenced by people as concept albums, but Sgt. Pepper's feels more theatrical and a bit more fun. Yes, this feels more like they're really trying yeah. to make a great album, and I like it for that. I been kind of going back and forth you know now three albums deep on how i'd reshuffle things and i think it probably will depend on the day where i actually sit down to make my rankings on whether i put this one ahead or behind sergeant peppers they're both so good and i have a hard time deciding which one i like more so on that note do you keep this at number three it's definitely justifiable to have it at number three right it was it was definitely sound logic to include it on this list and to include it as high as they did. Yes. Um, I think that I could be convinced that it could be the greatest album of all time. I could also be convinced that it deserves to be knocked down a few pegs. Yep. Uh, it's not an album that I am scratching my head as to why it's included, and I think we'll get to a few of those coming up here in the next little bit. Uh, Perhaps... Perhaps very soon. <laughs> Perhaps. No spoilers, though. No, no, we don't do that here. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, this is a great album and uh, definitely a good reminder of, of how good the pinnacle of the Beatles' career really was. Yeah, for sure. I personally would rank this album higher than Sgt. Pepper's. However, I recognize that Sgt. Pepper's was was received much better, was commercially much more successful, and uh, critically is acclaimed much higher. And for that reason, I can understand why that would take the top spot, at least in terms of Beatles albums on this list, if not just albums as a whole. Uh, I think maybe Sgt. Pepper's is also a little easier to listen to, front uh-huh. to back. It's a little less challenging. And I like an album that's a little more challenging, not necessarily super weird or super obscure, but I find Revolver to be more challenging sonically. So that has caused for me to enjoy it and enjoy listening to it. And I think some of the really big hits, there's there's some more recognizable songs on Revolver, but I guess that even that statement in itself is subjective. So um, yeah, I would put it higher. But I understand why the curators of this list would have put Peppers at one 
and then pet sounds and then this and uh, I, I can totally understand that I don't really have issue with it so the conclusion is that yes this was sound logic we don't have to go to the the baby shark seal of disapproval not yet no not yet but perhaps very soon we might ask How does it feel? <laughs> well, on that note, we want to thank you once again for joining us on Sound Logic, and we hope you join us next time when we discuss what album? I don't know. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next up is number four on Rolling Stone's top 500 album list Highway 61 Revisited by Bob Dylan. I'd kind of like to hear Highway 61 the first time through. Yeah, I don't think I don't think that's what that means, but we'll we'll get into that. <laughs> Sounds good. Good to talk to you, buddy. We'll see you soon. If you like what you hear, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and write a review. Send us a message at our Facebook page, on Instagram, or through our SoundLogic Podcast Twitter feed. Thanks for listening.